Let's go ahead and, um, and get started this morning, jump into God's Word. It's good to see you guys greeting one another this morning. You know, we always want to give you a, a good chunk of time to do that, not just to say hello and kind of awkwardly shake hands, but actually uh, have a conversation with somebody. So I'm glad that you're able to do that. It's encouraging for me to see you uh, greet one another in the peace of Christ and so I hope you feel encouraged by that this morning. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, and we're just grateful that, uh, that God has brought you to, get, to gather with the church this morning, whether this is your first time uh, or whether you've been a part of this church for a long time. Uh, it's God's providence that you're in this room this morning. His sovereignty has brought you to be here today. So uh, I hope that's encouraging to you as well, whether you feel really close to the Lord right now uh, or far away or not even sure if you believe God even exists. We're glad that you're here this morning. Uh, at Sojourn, we preach from the Bible uh, each week, and so if you need a copy of the Bible just to look at this morning, would you just raise your hand and somebody will bring a copy of the scriptures around to you, uh, so you can just keep your hand up until they find you. Uh, and if you don't actually own a copy of the Bible, we'd love to give that to you as a gift, so feel free to take that with you home so that you can have a copy of God's Word uh, to be able to read it throughout the week. You know, culture is an interesting thing. If we kind of assess culture or look at culture and we see all kinds of things like fads and, and trends and things that are in at one point and out at other points in time, and it can really influence uh, probably most of us if we're honest with ourselves, so much so that it impacts and influences even our economy and our commerce and industry. I was thinking about, I mean, there's all kinds of different examples of this, but I was just thinking of a simple, simple example uh, is jeans, right? Like when I was in elementary school, like the cool thing to do with your jeans was to tight roll your jeans or peg your jeans? Any, is, that, is that like, some of you guys are too young for that maybe. Um, that was like the original skinny jeans, right? You like tight rolled your bottom of your jeans and stuff. And I would never have worn dark colored jeans. Like that was not cool. You had to wear light colored jeans. Whitewash would be preferred, right? But like now, it, it's, or even past that, it was cool to wear baggy jeans then. No more tight rolling your jeans. You got to wear baggy jeans. And I know some of you guys wore really Baggy jeans, Jinko jeans, anybody wear any of those? You know what I'm saying? So you wore those jeans, and that was cool to wear that, you know, wear, wear those baggy jeans. Now, as times have changed and trends have come and gone, it's, it's okay to wear darker colored jeans right now. That's accepted and, and seemed to be cool or in at the moment, and skinny jeans are, well, accepted by some uh, to be cool and, and be okay to wear those right now. But it's just interesting that even through time, things can change, and we tend to follow culture, and that's okay for the most part. There's an innocence to a lot of the stuff we do. There's nothing really uh, moral about jeans one way or the other, right? It's just, a, it's just a fashion thing that we can follow. Some aspects of culture, though, can be dangerous. We have to pay attention to them and, and understand that we are in a culture. We live in a culture. We're influenced by culture, but if we are in Christ, if we have a relationship with Jesus, if Jesus is Lord over our life, then we have to understand and hopefully realize that we should have a primary influential culture in our life, and that's the culture of Christ's kingdom. The culture of his kingdom should be the thing that we follow, the thing that influences us the most. We may be familiar with the saying, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But as citizens of the kingdom of God, if you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, then we can now follow, we should now follow and live out the culture of the kingdom. Kingdom people do kingdom things. They follow the way of their king. 
And so as we jump into the fifth week in our Mercy series, we're going to look at a text of Scripture that addresses the way of the king and the things that kingdom people are called to do as an overflow of who they are. And so my hope is, as we look at this text this morning, that we will continue to take seriously, continue to be challenged by the call that God has on our life to be a merciful community to our community. I also want to spend some time this morning as we have gone through this series over these last few weeks just to get really practical about what it looks like for Sojourn Church to serve our city by showing and giving love and mercy to anyone and everyone because of the love and mercy we've received in and through Christ. So before we open up to the text we're going to look at this morning, let's just pray that God would help us to continue to be attentive to his spirit as the word is preached today. So let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we're able to come and sit under your word this morning. We're thankful that we could hear the voices of our brothers and sisters this morning sing truths about you and our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you, we thank you and are thankful for the reminder this morning that you came to us to rescue us. And so Lord, I pray that that would be on our minds, that would be on our hearts at the forefront of those things this morning as we open up your word to a challenging text And I pray that as we read this, as we walk through this, that you would challenge us, that you would bring conviction. But in the midst of that, Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged to follow the way of the King. Help us to do that. We cannot do that apart from your work in our hearts and in our lives. And we continue to ask, Father, that you would make us a merciful community to our community. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, go ahead and grab your Bible uh, and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, the first of what we call the Gospels, the Gospel narratives. And so you can flip over to Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to be reading starting in verse 31 through the end of the chapter. It's a lot of verses here, but I just want us to hear this whole story. Jesus is the one speaking, so hear the words of Christ to you this morning. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 
You know, this is an interesting text. Jesus has been preaching to his disciples, and he's been relating things, teaching them about the coming kingdom, teaching them about the coming judgment that will come later on in the future, and he's used lots of parables to teach them. But we get to this point in Matthew 25 and realize Jesus isn't telling the same kind of parable to illustrate a point. What he's really doing is looking into the future about how things will be when he returns and judges the nations. Right away in verses 31 through 33, the scene is set. When Jesus returns in all his glory, he will sit on the glorious throne as the glorious king. And all the nations will be gathered before him for judgment. Everyone will be gathered together before him for judgment. Judgment. He will come to judge the living and the dead, as the Apostles' Creed states. But the scene is interesting because he uses a metaphor to talk about how he's assessing and looking at these different people. He divides this people, all the nations, into two groups, the sheep and the goats. And the king of kings then addresses the sheep. Look at verses 34 and 36. They're told to come to receive the inheritance of the kingdom of God, the kingdom that was prepared for them before the foundation of the world. Why? Why are they coming? Why are they receiving this inheritance? Well, Jesus says something interesting in verses 35 and 36. This is the reason why. He says, for, for, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. It doesn't say because we read the Bible a lot, because we gathered with the church a lot, because we did good Christian things and had good Christian t-shirts and listened to good Christian music. That's not the reason. He says, because you showed mercy to those around you in need. Notice the reaction, verses 37 and 39. They're surprised. Now, why are they surprised? It's not because they're surprised that they're getting to come into the kingdom of God, that they get to be with God forever. They, they, they're, they're, they've already trusted in Christ. They're surprised, as one pastor puts it, that their little actions to little people to whom they gave little thought are a big deal to Jesus. They're surprised because they don't know when they ever did these things to or for Jesus. Lord, when do we see you and serve you in this way? Well, Jesus responds to him in verse 40. He says, when you did these things to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did them to me. This is a huge statement. Now, Jesus isn't saying to them, look, I was in disguise. Like, I put on a hat, and I disguised myself, and I was testing you in those moments. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's saying is, is that he's identifying himself at a very deep, a very personal level with the lowly and the needy of the world, those the world casts off as insignificant, as undeserving, as easy to pass by. I mean, the contrast in this text is amazing. We have the picture of Jesus as the Son of Man, the glorious king sitting on the glorious throne, set against the fact that he says he was hungry, he was thirsty, he was naked, he was a foreigner, he was sick, he was a prisoner. Jesus identifies in a very real way with the neediest of people. That is who our Lord attaches himself to. We know that he came to us. We know that he humbled himself just to, just to condescend to us, to become human, to take on human nature. But he goes even further than that and identifies himself with those the world casts off. The question we should ask ourselves right now about the culture of the kingdom is if our king associates with the neediest people, do we? Are we? Are we willing to do that? Jesus has dealt with the sheep and now he turns to 
the goats. They are not welcomed into the kingdom of God. Instead of saying, come to me, he says, depart from me. Depart from me into eternal fire. Why? He gives a similar reason. Verse 42 through 43, for, this is the reason, I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Now they're also surprised. Lord, when did we see you in need and not help you out? Jesus responds in like manner. When you didn't care for the least of these, you didn't care for me. For those that go into destruction, we have a picture of a group of people who are so wrapped up in their own concerns, so focused on their own lives, their own needs, that they're indifferent to those around them that might be suffering. Maybe it's that they didn't outright ignore them and see it and and brush past it, though that might be the case. I think the reality for a lot of this is they just didn't pay attention enough. And that's the mentality of so much of the culture we find ourselves in now. There's too much to do, not enough time to stop, to look, to listen, to help. It's interesting, they didn't do something awful. The fact is is that they didn't do anything. See, our sinful inaction can be just as serious as our sinful actions. Jesus concludes with the facts. Verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What Jesus is doing here in Matthew 25, what he's making crystal clear for us is that giving mercy or withholding mercy is serious and eternal. It's a serious issue and an eternal issue. If we give mercy or we withhold mercy. Now one of the reasons I wanted to preach on this text, to open up Matthew 25 in the midst of this series as we're going through this, talking about being a merciful community to our community, is because I think this text in Matthew 25 elaborates on, it further explains two verses that we've already referenced and looked at in the midst of this series. Earlier in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 7, a verse that we've talked about before says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The inverse of that we saw in James chapter 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Matthew 25 is explaining that further to us as Jesus himself shares those same ideas. But like we said before, what we have to understand is is that what we do does not earn us salvation. What we do does not earn us entrance into the kingdom of God. Rather, because we are already citizens of the kingdom, we do the works of the king, the works he's prepared beforehand for us to walk in. So let me be really clear at this point. Matthew 25 does not teach that we are saved by our good works. It teaches that if we are truly saved, if we have experienced God's grace and mercy through Christ, if we have been given new hearts, then we will do good works. We will show mercy to those in need. We do not have a salvation by works, but a salvation that works. Surgeon, we have to read Matthew 25 in light of all of Scripture, even even just all of the book of Matthew. We have to be reminded this morning of the truth of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We're not saved by what we do. We're saved by grace through faith. But then Paul goes on to say, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created in him. We're made a new creation through his grace, through his mercy, 
for a purpose to do good works, these good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We could just look at the rest of the book of Matthew. Right after this in Matthew chapter 25, we see that the reality of Jesus going to the cross and as Jesus gives up his spirit, bearing the wrath of God for the sin of the world, the curtain of the temple the curtain that symbolized man's separation from God because of his sin and God's holiness is torn in two from top to bottom, making a way for us to be reconciled to God and be forever in his presence as his sons and daughters. So when we read Matthew 25, a text that's about the judgment that will come when Christ returns, is we have to recognize and remember this is about the second coming of Jesus. This event in Matthew 25 that Jesus is sharing with us is occurring after the cross, after the resurrection, which means as we read this in Matthew 25, it includes you and it includes me, that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But sojourn, as we read this in Matthew 25, we have to see that the cross of Christ looms large over this text. It looms large. It has to. It's paramount over this. Because the reality is you and I cannot do any of these things that God has called us to, that Christ is talking about, apart from the saving and transforming work of the cross of Christ. As another pastor says, the kindness to the needy was not in order to gain a reward and merit salvation, but was part of the way they lived in response to what Christ had done in them and for them. Simply put, the sheep's lives evidence that God has been at work in them. See, true citizens of the kingdom of God cannot not be compassionate towards others. True citizens of the kingdom of God cannot not be passionate towards others. It's the way of the king. It's the ethic of the kingdom. It's what God's doing to transform our hearts so that we can live out the truth of Philippians chapter 2, that we can consider others' needs as more important than our own and people as more significant than ourselves. What this means is that showing mercy to the least of these is not a matter of should we. It's tied directly to our new nature in Christ. Now we can read a text like this and we we can respond in, in a couple of different ways. To be honest, as I'm reading through this text this week, studying this on my own, knowing that we're going to preach out of Matthew 25, I I read this text and I recognize it's a judgment text, right? This is people standing before the judgment seat of Christ, and there's two options: eternal life or eternal punishment. And I can go through and I can read the things that those that receive eternal life do. And I look at my own life. And I say, God, I'm not doing these things. I I, I can go through this list and say, I didn't do that and I haven't done this. And what about this in my life? And the response for me can be fear and despair. But I don't think that's the purpose of this text. I don't think the response that should come from this is fear and despair. I think what we need to respond with is thankfulness and hope. Here's why. Here's why we need to respond in that way. Because brother, sister, it's by grace that you're saved. And it's by grace that you are transformed. God is doing a transforming work in your heart right now. Because right now you're not standing before the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not standing before the judgment seat of Christ. This is God's grace to you to give you this word. As I sit here and read this this week and study this this week, it's convicting to me, it's challenging to me because I recognize how often I lack empathy towards other people. How I care more about my own agenda, my own plans, that if I'm really honest with myself, I don't often have a genuine care for other people or a genuine love for other people. 
And so I can read this and say, God, I don't have the heart of these people, these sheep who you welcome into your kingdom. I have the heart of the wicked who you cast off. But Lord, thank you for pointing that out to me. Lord, thank you for your word that shows that to me. It'd be like if I go to the doctor this week and I'm having a physical done and being checked up for stuff, and that, that's the point. I want the doctor to, to, to assess my health and, and make sure everything's okay, and maybe in the midst of that, he hears something in my heart and wants to do some further testing. And so there's echocardiograms done and EKGs and all that kind of stuff, and the doctor says, you know what, I think there actually is an issue with your heart. I think it's something we need to look into further, we need to take care of and treat Now, I could respond in one of two ways. I could respond in despair that I have something wrong with my heart, or I can rejoice that God pointed that out to me, the doctor pointed that out to me so that I can see it changed. And that's the reality of this. This text right now is not for you to go into despair, recognizing, oh, I'm not doing these things, and say, praise God, thank you, Lord, that you've shown me this. Would you change my heart so that I would be like this? This change can only happen in one way, though. Whether you already know Christ or you don't yet know Christ, it only happens in one way, and that's through repentance and faith. Through repentance and faith. Because the reality is we have all rebelled against God. We've all placed something, anyone, anything above God, including ourselves, or we give worship to something else besides him. Something else holds the place that God alone deserves. All of us have stolen God's glory. We've exchanged it for a lie for something else that might satisfy. And in the case of Matthew 25, perhaps it's personal comfort. Perhaps it's more money for us or more things for us. Perhaps we have an idolatry of our free time. Perhaps we consider our needs as more important than someone else's needs. Repentance is acknowledging that and turning away from that rebellion and sin against God, but it's also faith Because as we turn away from those things, recognizing and acknowledging those things, we also turn in faith to Jesus, recognizing that he's the only remedy to our wickedness in our hearts, to the judgment that we deserve for our rebellion. Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. So if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you've never trusted in Christ, if you've never repented and believed, to begin that relationship with Jesus, to be made right with God, God offers that to you and says to you today, this morning, repent today. Turn away from that today and place your faith in Jesus today for what he's done for you. But the same thing's true for you, brother or sister, if you've already accepted Christ. We don't move on from repentance. We don't move on from faith. Repentance and faith are part of and the reality of all of the Christian life. Because over and over again, God is molding you and shaping you to be more like Jesus, which means over and over again, we repent. And over and over again, we place our faith in Jesus anew and afresh believing it's only by his grace that we're saved and only by his grace that we're transformed so that we can follow the way of our king. See, when we do this, when we live a life of repentance and a life of faith, as we read hard texts like Matthew 25, we can start to see the reality of John the Baptist's words in Luke chapter 3 lived out. John, speaking to a group of people, says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, that that you would evidence in your life that you have truly repented, that you have truly trusted in the Savior. And he goes on to say, and the crowds ask him, what then shall we do? What does fruit of repentance look like? And this is how John answers. He doesn't say do more religious things. This is how he answers them. He says, whoever has two tunics is to share with the one who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Sojourn, the fruit of repentance are the good works prepared beforehand by our God for us to walk in. 
So this is not a message of guilt. This is a message of grace to us this morning. Because God is gracious in giving us his word and giving us texts like Matthew 5, 7 and giving us texts like James 2, 13 and Matthew 25 to show us the way of our king and the kingdom and to call us by faith in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to walk in his ways. But we have to understand that the challenge is real because the inverse is true. If we do not evidence fruit of true repentance and faith, in our lives, then we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and he will say to us, depart from me. Depart from me. See, these challenges always serve to shake us up, to shake us out of our comfort, to maybe even produce a bit of discomfort in our life, because the Christian life is not meant to be a life of complacency. It's not meant to be a life of simple assent to truth. It's not meant to be about worldly comfort and ease, just waiting until a future time. The Christian life is meant to be lived out now to affect everything we do, to affect the way that we think, the things that we say. It changes us completely to the depths of who we are. Sojourn, Matthew 25 is a call to keep pressing on, to keep moving forward in the grace that has been given to you until Jesus returns or calls you home. It's what Paul's talking about in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. Paul's exhortation to us this morning is the same as Jesus. It says this, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See, I don't want us to look at a text like Matthew 25 and say, well, it looks like Jesus is just talking about speaking to Brother, or caring for brothers and sisters in Christ. We are called to do that. Paul says that. We should take care of the household of faith first. That should be a primary uh, thing that we want to do. But we can't say as followers of Jesus that that gives us license to only care for our brothers and sisters and no one else outside of the church. Because that's not the way that Jesus does things. That's not the way that the king does things. That's not the ethics of the kingdom. Everyone in need should be the object of our love, the object of our mercy, See, the ethic of the kingdom of God is to show mercy to all people. Next week, I am going to look at a text of scripture and talk about what does it look like for us to show mercy and care for one another. But what I want to do in the rest of our time today is just get practical about what it looks like for us to show mercy to those outside of our church family here in Fairfax, both believers and non-believers, just those we encounter on a regular basis in our city. So what are we to do? The second reason I picked this text to preach on in this series at this point is because it's not theoretical or philosophical. Jesus is very practical. He's not exhaustive. He doesn't give an exhaustive list of good works that we're supposed to do, but he does give a representative list of the ethics of the king and his kingdom. See, Jesus would do all six and 6,000 more of these kinds of things, and he calls us to go and do likewise, to go and do likewise. So let's get practical I want to break this down into to three actions of application. The first one is this. Give generously. Give generously. Every example that Jesus gives of showing mercy in Matthew 25 requires personal generosity. Food for the hungry. Drink, drink for the thirsty. Clothes for the naked. Respite and hospitality for the stranger. Time visiting the sick and prisoner. If we are going to be a merciful community to our community, then it will cost us something. We need to acknowledge that. 
but not allow that to push us away from jumping into where God is calling us because that is the way of the king. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 reminds us, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I want Sojourn Church to be a generous church, a generous people, to be marked by that. I want us together to scheme for the kingdom of God in our city. We are rich people in comparison with the rest of the world. And I would even go as far as to say, even compared to a lot of people in America, that overall that we are well off by American standards. And here's the deal. If you even just truly know Christ, you have all the riches of heaven. So we can heed Paul's words of 1 Timothy chapter 6. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so they may take hold of, what that, of that which is truly life. Paul's saying, again, don't put your hope in the things of this earth. Give them away. Share those. Be generous towards others. Enjoy the things God has given you, but let that overflow to sharing that and showing mercy to others, because you know that true life is found in him. Generous giving comes from a genuine love for others. So we have to pray and ask the Spirit to give us that, to give us that genuine love for other people, and that out of that, an overflow of that would be to be generous. But generosity is not just about giving money. It's about our other resources as well. Whether it's our home, our car, our clothing, technology, your time as well. I want us to be generous with everything that God has given to us that we might love our city well. See, I think when we say that we can't help someone, what we're actually maybe saying is, if I help, it's going to cause me grief. It's going to cause sacrifice. It's going to cause difficulty, and I don't want to experience those things. I know that's often the case for me. I can assess a situation or a circumstance. Instead of erring on the side of generosity, I can calculate the personal cost to myself and decide, is it worth it? I'm willing to be compassionate, but maybe only on my terms, at minimal cost to me. And I ask that God would change my heart. And if you struggle in that same way, that God would change your heart. I said a few weeks ago when we started this series, if we're going to err somewhere, let's err on the side of generosity Let's trust God and let mercy limit mercy, not place our own limits on those things. Recognizing that God has given us everything in and through Christ. See, the way of our king and the ethic of the kingdom is to give generously. So let me just give you some practical examples. These are not exhaustive things, but just maybe things you could think about in your own life. Maybe in your own life you can set up a personal benevolence fund. I know there's brothers and sisters in our church that as they budget their money every month, they, they set aside money to, to be merciful towards other people with their resources. And that doesn't mean that you have to be married to do that. It doesn't mean that you have to have a family to do that. You can do that right now, no matter where you're at in life, to set up that personal benevolence. Say, I want to, I, I want to set aside my resources to show and love and care for others. You could give to the Sojourn Benevolence Fund. We have a fund within the church that we seek to bless others, those that are in need, you can give directly to that so that the church as a whole has resources that can be, to, to be used to meet needs that maybe you don't know about, but as a whole, the church is seeking to meet those needs. But most importantly, I think you can do what Alan said last week, and that's to never ignore the prompting of the Spirit with your time or resources when you see someone in need. 
I know I've had those experiences that I, I, I sense the Spirit prompting me to do something and I can quickly press it down, push it aside, and keep going on with my day. Let's not ignore those things. That when we feel a prompting of the Spirit to be generous, that we would step out in faith, trust our God, and give and be generous with the resources and the things that God has given to us. Listen, you may get burned along the way. You may. But we can trust our King. We can trust His ways regardless of how the world receives them, knowing that our God is good and that He's faithful. May we be marked by generosity. So I want us to give generously, but I also want us to go boldly. Thomas Chalmers, who was a pastor from yesteryear, once said this, let's go out into the streets to do the work of Christian ministry. God's people are called not just to give, but also to go and to go boldly, to engage with real people. We see the same thing in Matthew 25. All these examples that Jesus gives not only require generosity, they also require movement towards others. If we are going to be a merciful community to our community, we must boldly go where the need is, moving towards it, looking for it, not waiting for it to come to us. Jesus exemplifies this in every way. As Alan preached last week, he came to us. He came to us. And he associated and spent time with people in need. We also have the rich history of the church to look at. Because Sojourn, historically, the church has always been on the forefront of engaging the social needs of society, taking care of the poor, of widows and orphans, the sick and dying. Kingdom people have always been doing kingdom things. So that shouldn't stop with us. That shouldn't stop with us. As a local church, we are called to carry on the way of the king so we can show mercy and do good for our city in all kinds of ways. See, the crazy thing about this is that as God saves us, he now uses the gifts and the talents and the abilities we have to expand on ways to live out the ethics of Jesus. We can think about how to use medicine and economics, politics and education, finances, whatever it is to help those in need in our city and in our country and our world. Doing things to advance the kingdom as kingdom representatives. In Matthew 25, Jesus gives a practical guide born out of his own personal ministry. And so I just want to throw out a bunch of ways that we can engage right now in Fairfax to serve those who are in need. And this is not an exhaustive list. If anything, I hope it just kind of primes your heart a bit, makes you think a little bit about what does it look like for you to give of your life to serve those in our community, to serve your neighbors. You don't have to scribble all these down. We're going to put this on the website this week so you can see some of these resources, some of these things that you can jump into. The first thing I'm excited about is a way that we can partner with our city, partner with an organization that already exists. There's an organization in Fairfax called Facets. And on April the 19th, we're going to have people from Facets come here after the service at 1230 and give us just some information about how you can jump in and serve those in our community that are dealing with the effects of poverty. One of the things they say on their website is poverty in Fairfax County and in Northern Virginia is often unnoticed and unseen. And so they, they, they recognize there's a need here for us to engage with that. And so there's tons of different ways that you can help. Tutoring kids, helping them, uh, kids whose parents are working two or three jobs that they can't spend time with their children because they're just trying to get by. People that are on the edge of homelessness, people that are already in that. People that are just trying to get by. There's lots of different ways that you can jump into serving through facets. So I would love for Sojourn to, to be represented there, to come out and serve our community and jump in and serve in that way. So on April 19th, you can plan to come to that training. There'll be more information on our website about it. 
Chris Cruz, who's a member of our church, has served with Facet. So if you know Chris, you can go up and talk with him and just say, man, hey, tell me about your experience, about what it looks like to serve in this way. Another thing that Chris has done that I encourage you to talk to him about is just serve the day laborers of our community. We can often drive by somewhere and notice men that are waiting for work, and I know that we can often have negative attitudes about that. But what would it look like for us to look at them and see them as real people, image bearers of God, that are here trying to serve their families, and just look at them and say, how can I love them? How can I serve them? How can I show mercy to them? What would it look like for us to engage and just care for them in that way? So Chris has done a bunch of stuff with that. Talk to him about that. You could serve in foster care. Go to a foster care interest meeting and learn about meeting the needs of children in our community that just need someone to love on them and care for them and be involved in their lives. If you have questions about that, talk to Alan or Kim McCullough about that. There's a jail in our community that has, at any given day, 1,300 people in it. Right next to that, there's a juvenile detention center. There's lots of ways for you to engage with that, whether it's leading a Bible study or mentoring someone that's incarcerated right now. There's lots of opportunities there. There's information about that. You can talk to Will Klotz about that, who's done some research on serving in that way. Fairfax Hospital exists in our community. Tons of patients go there for all different kinds of things, and sometimes they're there for a long time. There's opportunities for us. They have volunteer programs where you can go and just seek to walk around and encourage people who are staying in the hospital, just to love on them and care for them and just let them know that you're there and you care about them. Alex Diver is another member of our church, and Alex has served in this way. Out of own personal experience in his life of having been in the hospital for some time, he just wanted to love on those that are in the hospital. So if that stirs your heart, talk to Alex about what it looked like for you to go and volunteer at the hospital. There's crisis pregnancy centers you can get involved in, human trafficking initiatives that you can get involved in. There's people all over our community that want to and need to learn English. What would it look like for you to teach ESL in your home? To invite people from your community to come in and say, come in, I want to I build a relationship with you and teach you about English and, and share my life with you. George Mason has tons, thousands of students that come from all over the world, oftentimes that come here and will never darken the door of an American's home. What would it like for our church to go and say, man, I want to serve you. Would you come have dinner with me? Would you come and hang out with my family? We'd love just to get to know you. There's needs in the middle schools. What about Frost Middle School and the students that are here? Woodson High School and the students that are there. We could serve those needs and, and seek to reach out to those people. But let me even boil it down even simpler for you. What about just your actual physical neighbors? If you walk out your door this afternoon, if you look around, ask yourself this question. If one of my neighbors was in need, would I even know about it? Would I even know about it? Maybe the woman on your street who's just had a baby or the single mom or dad that just needs a little bit of help right now. Maybe there's a shut-in or an older couple that can't mow their grass or shovel their sidewalk or just needs someone to take the trash out. Or maybe they're just lonely and would love just to have a conversation. Man, do you know your neighbors enough to be able to meet their needs and show mercy to them? I think for most of us, if we just stopped and sat and thought, what needs do I know about right now that I could meet, there'd be something you could jump into right now to show mercy. Because the reality is, Sojourn, there are people all around us, and if there's people all around us, that means there's brokenness all around us. Let's stop and look and listen and go boldly. Go boldly in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God and the good of our city. I want us to give generously. I want us to go boldly. And the last thing I want to call us to is to think and pray and listen continually. 
See, sometimes we can have the attitude or the thought, what is sojourn going to do? What is sojourn going to do? I'm ready to do this, but what is sojourn going to do? Let me remind you this morning that you are sojourned, that I'm sojourned. What that means is we need to talk with one another. We need to discuss with one another. So what does your heart beat for? What's get, what gets you excited when it comes to showing mercy? Where and to whom is God drawing your attention right now? I want us to be thinking and scheming, praying and listening together. Maybe you're thinking about moving right now. Maybe you should just spend some time praying, God, would you show me where you want me to go? Maybe I should move into a community where I'll interact with people that are different from me, that have different socioeconomic statuses, that come from different places so that I could show mercy to them. What would it look like for our church to move in and be all over this city to meet the needs of those around us, to change our paths enough with one another to do this? That's going to happen as we think and pray and listen. I want to encourage you to go to community group this week to talk and discuss and scheme and pray together. The primary purpose of our community groups is sermon application. What that means is that we can take what's preached on a Sunday and just get down with one another and say, how are we going to do this? What does this look like in your life? What does this look like in my life? So if you're not in a community group, get into one this week. Go to one this week so you can spend time talking about this. What would it look like for your group to engage in mercy together? Maybe the application this week for your group is not to sit around and discuss it, but actually go do something this week. What would it look like for you to do that, to scheme together, to pray together, to talk together, to think together? Look, I believe God is calling all of us, all of us as followers of Christ, as his people, to walk in the way of the king by showing mercy to anyone and everyone in need. But listen to me, I believe that God is calling some of you this morning very specifically to step up and lead in this way within this church. I really believe that. I believe that God's stirring in your heart right now, maybe, and maybe it's been through this series, that you're sensing the Spirit leading you to step up and say, I need to lead in this way. I need to lead and, and help my brothers and sisters in this way. Is that you? Are you being attentive to the Spirit? Is God placing something, a burden on your heart right now that you need to start something in Fairfax to meet a need that you see? And tell your community about that. Step up and lead in that way and let us help you and encourage you to do that. Sojourn, these works listed out in Matthew 25 are not spectacular. In fact, they're rather normal. They're just works of love. What this means is that none of these things take a particular talent or skill set. What they take is a spirit-filled new heart with a willingness to go and a willingness to give. All of us can do these things. If you're in middle school, if you're in high school, if you're a college student, if you're just out of college, if you're young or old, male or female, if you're well-off or just getting by, if you have advanced degrees or no degrees, if you're a stay-at-home mom with young children or a busy professional in the marketplace, the reality is none of us can do all of these things, but all of us can engage in some way, and together we can serve our city. I asked this question at the beginning, and I think it's worth asking again, would anybody care or even notice if we no longer existed as a church? Would your neighbors care if you moved out of your apartment complex? Would they even notice? Or off of your street, would it even matter? Surgeon, I want the answer to be yes, it would matter. Because God has placed us in a certain place to serve our city in a way that gives glory and honor to him and is good for our neighbors. Listen, I like to check boxes off. I love my reminders app on my phone to put stuff in there and check it off. Now, I'm not so crazy that I had put stuff in there that I've already done just so I can check it off. I know some of you are like that, but, 
but, but I like to check boxes. I like to know that I'm completing a task. I like to be able to put something on a piece of paper, see it there, work towards that end, and then see it go away. Listen to me, this cannot be that. This is not about checking boxes off. This is not about crossing stuff off of a list. For you and for me, it has to come from a heart that's moved by, that's changed by the grace and mercy of God that we've received. Jesus is after our hearts. He wants our hearts to overwhelm with love for other people, to be broken for those that are broken. See, when I move away from checking boxes in my own life, when I move away from pragmatism in my own life, I experience freedom. And the same thing is true for showing mercy to others. When I take what's in my head, the truth that's in my head, and see that connected to my heart, I'm able to engage and truly love my neighbor as myself because I know that I have been and am loved by my God. So let's never forget that the cross looms large over this call and commission of Christ. We love because he first loved us. That is the way of our king. That's the ethic of our kingdom. And so I'm hopeful. I'm excited for what God will continue to do in and through this church here in Fairfax to the praise of his name. Matthew 25 is a challenging text, but as I said earlier, I don't want this to lead to despair or guilt, but grace. I want it to lead to worship for us. Because in the midst of being challenged, we're reminded that Jesus saved us. The son who sits on the throne to judge is the son who came to give us life that we might be called sons and daughters of God. So this morning as we come to the table, I want us to come with thankfulness in our hearts that God sent his son to rescue us. And in sending his son to rescue us, he sent his son to bring about the grace that will change us and transform us. And as he changes us and transforms us, he will use us for his glory in this world. So as you eat the bread this morning, remember that Christ's body was given for you so that you might know him and walk in his ways. As you drink the cup, be reminded this morning that Christ's blood was shed for you so that you might know him and walk in his ways. As you come to the table this morning, be refreshed, be encouraged and compelled to go boldly, to give generously, just as God generously gave and boldly came for you. And if you're not a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion this morning because this is an act of worship for us. This is a a declaration of our dependence completely and fully on Jesus to be reconciled to God. And so if you haven't yet done that, if you haven't yet been reconciled to God and repented and placed your faith in Jesus, then let me encourage you to do that this morning. Don't come forward to take the bread and the cup. Take Christ today. I beg you to do that. Don't walk out of here if you don't know Jesus. Pray and ask God to save you today, that you might experience his grace, experience his mercy in your life, and then see him radically transform your life. And if you have questions about what it means to know and follow Christ, please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. That's why this church is here. We're here to be a beacon, a light for the gospel of Christ so that anyone and everyone in Fairfax might hear the gospel, know it, and believe it, and experience new life. So come and ask questions if you have them. Those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive the elements. Tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. Let's pray. Father, I do pray this morning, very simply, that you would help us to do the things that we see Jesus call us to. That we would bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So Father, the first thing I pray is that we would have repentant hearts. Would you forgive us, Lord, for where we do not consider those around us as more important than ourselves, where we are more concerned about our own comfort, our own 
satisfaction than we are about our neighbors. Lord, we repent of that. At the same time, Lord, we place our faith in Christ anew. We lean completely on Jesus and thank you that our sin has been paid for in and through Christ. We pray now, Lord, that you would change our hearts, change us, Lord, so that we might give generously, so that we might go boldly. Lord, help us to listen and pray and think and scheme for the kingdom together. Lord, would you transform us to be a merciful community to our community for your glory and for the good of this city. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.